All right, well, good evening, everybody. Thank you all for, for coming back out. I saw a lot of hands up. Uh, so let me just give you a little background on, on how I wound up here. Um, it's actually my privilege to be here anytime. Listen, I, and, and maybe some of you were around last year, I told this story. I've been waiting for like 25 years to come to Hume Lake. All right, for real. So my friend Eric Tonis, some of you know Dr. Eric Tonis. He's speaking to the high schoolers. I think he was here last week doing this. And, uh, you know, he's been coming up here since the 90s, always bragging on Hume Lake, telling me how great it is, like heaven on earth, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, when are you going to, like, get me to Hume Lake? Like, when do I get to come to Hume Lake? And uh, a couple years ago, it just happened. So uh, Jason asked me to come and do a men's retreat, so I got to do that. And then my wife Amy and I were asked to come back out and do a marriage retreat. And then I was here last year doing the Hume teaching series. So I'm here. It's like, it's so cool. I'm so glad to be back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's applause worthy at all, but I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. So very cool. Um, so let me give you just a little bit more of, of where I'm coming from as I even thought about what I wanted to do this week, because I was, I was just all over the place in thinking about what I wanted to do here. Um, I come from a non-Christian background, so I did not grow up in a, a Christian home. But I became a Christian at Kent State University. I actually went there to play basketball, and there's a long story behind it. I ended up not playing there, but I became a Christian in my freshman year at Kent State University. So very secular environment. And when I came to Christ, for me, it was very much a, uh, I have found now what I'm looking for. Like this, I was one of those just really um, introspective kids who was having lots of angst about life and wondering what happens after I died. And... Why is my family and relationships such a mess? And so when people started to explain the gospel to me, it was like, like it really was a cool water to a thirsty man. And uh, when I came to Christ, I, I knew right in that same moment, that same evening, I knew that this was the work that I wanted to do. It's like I got called into vocational ministry in the same moment that I said yes to Jesus. So for 30 years, like Art said, I've been working with collegiate athletes in the last decade or so I've been working in marriage space as well, but my heart has been on the college campus. That's, that's where it's been, on a secular college campus. And I have, um, I've just never left that, that first love of wanting to do ministry inside hostile environments here in the States. And I was even just reflecting back on this. There was a, a this is such a random, such a random passage, but it's like it's marked my conscious um, when the Pharaoh has his dreams and everything, and Joseph comes to him, finally gets out of jail, and Joseph says, I'll explain that to you. And he tells him kind of what his dreams mean. And at the end of that, Pharaoh says, where can you find a man like this? In whom is the spirit of God? And I've always been marked by that. that and, you know, there's, there's that moment there, and there's, there's um, Daniel who has that same kind of experience, right? He's in this very hostile, foreign government, a pagan government, and he stands for God in such a way that they're like, we want you around. Um, we don't understand what you, why you believe what you believe, but there's something different about you. Or Peter and John, right after Pentecost, first few chapters of Acts, remember, and the church is starting to form, and people are coming to Christ left and right, and Peter and John are standing up, and they are preaching Jesus, 
And the leaders, the political leaders, the religious leaders are baffled that these guys are uneducated. They're, they're not names that you would know of, but they know they were with Jesus. And there's just something different about them. I've always been really compelled by that picture for my own life and wanting to kind of stay in these environments where people don't know Jesus, in fact, reject him. But I've wanted to live in such a way that they were... They were confused almost by me. So I don't know whether I pulled that off or not in the last 30 years. Sometimes I have, sometimes I haven't. But my own growth path has been to stay on the edge of being able to stay there and keep pushing back. So I went and did two theological degrees at Trinity Seminary in the 90s. That's, in fact, where Eric Thomas and I met and we became friends. And then a decade later, I went and did a hyper-secular PhD in American culture studies at Bowling Green State University. And so I was basically um, in class with radical leftists who are basically everything that you don't like about what's happening in our country right now. If you find yourself on the side of not liking a lot of what's happening in the country right now, politically, that's all, that was my people for a number of years. Like I totally understand where that whole leftist ideology comes from and why they want what they want, and somehow I want to be a Christian in the midst of that for them, okay? So that's background. So even as I, um, this summer I've had opportunities to be in front of people in different settings, I just keep finding myself coming back to these themes over and over again that say, what are the kinds of things that mark a Christian in this kind of cultural moment that we find ourselves living in? What are the characteristics, the themes? Again, we could play with different words, but the, the kind of low-hanging fruit that it, the gospel offers up to say, listen, Jesus people, do this because you walk and follow me and you will be different than the culture. I will get glory and you will have meaning and purpose and you will understand why I have you on the earth. And it seems like it's the same. I'll just say this and then we're going to get into a text together, okay? It seems like there's these almost cliche ideas. And I know this room looks to be um, older than college. <laughs> older than college? Can I get away with saying that? <laughs> Mostly older than college or some? Some maybe college in here. but uh, It seems like almost as we get along in years, there's certain basic Christian ideas that just become easy to start not paying attention to anymore. They almost become cliche. They become vacation Bible school simple. And so we just stop doing them. Sort of like what we looked at this morning with, um, with Paul telling the Colossians to have a certain attitude towards prayer and to just ask, would you ask for doors to be open so I can talk to people about gospel stuff? And, and just that idea of let your speech be salty. Let it be gracious towards people. Instead of, again, I feel like as Christians, and again, I want to be careful how I say this, and I don't know exactly what's going on out here in California, but I know back in Ohio, people are being mean to each other. Um, and people are being mean to each other in church, and they're really mean to each other on social media, and it's like really hard to have civil conversations with even with other believers. And I just think, man, we need to stop that. Like, there's just a couple, fun, just some fundamentals we need to get back to 
And that would be one of them, how we talk to each other and stop giving ourselves permission to say, well, I know this is true most of the time, but if you're in that category, I get to be mean to you. <laughs> I get to be ungracious to you. Okay. So what I want to do with the rest of this week, with the just few times that we have, and I told you Thursday we'll actually do some Q&A, so maybe even be thinking if you're going to keep coming back, and I know it's, it's a smattering of coming and going here, but if you do wind up coming back Thursday, be thinking about questions that, that Eric and I could maybe be asking about anything. But in between there, I want to look at some of these themes that are easy to ignore, but fundamentally, if we would grab a hold of them every day, we would stand out as lights in the darkness, okay? So that's where I want to go with our time. So open up in your Bible if you've got it tonight. We'll look at this one together. To Luke chapter 17. I think I actually talked about this last year when I was here. Like Art said, I want to go to some different places for sure with the rest of the week. But I, I just always find myself starting it seems like with any crowd, any chapel opportunity I have, I find myself starting here, and I think it's because I need it more than anything. Chapter 17, verse 11, we'll just walk through this passage and set it, set it up, and we're going to get to a point, uh, and then we'll, and we'll stop and ask ourselves a question, okay? So it says, on the way to Jerusalem... He, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, i got to say this right now. And some of you know this passage already and you know this idea. One of the things that's super attractive about Jesus to me, especially in this cultural moment, I mean, Jesus is attractive throughout millenniums, but he's really attractive to me in this cultural moment because Jesus does not care what anybody thinks he should or should not be doing. He doesn't let the, whatever's trending Whatever hostilities exist in the culture, he doesn't let that set the boundaries of who it is he's going to talk to or where he's going to go or the things that he's going to say. And I hope you still take pleasure in seeing that those moments when he just baffles everyone because he's saying and doing things that no one is supposed to say or do. That's still really cool about Jesus, I think. Well, he's not supposed to be on this road between Samaria and Galilee because Jewish people hate Samaritans. They hate them. There's tons of racial tension between them. Again, just the way most racial hatred goes, they've gotten to a point where they barely even remember all the reasons why they're not supposed to like each other, but they've definitely built up a wall between one another, and they despise each other and stay away from each other. So if you're a good Jew, you would never be seen. In fact, you can see this on your um, Bible map in the back of your Bible if you've got a good Bible that there is this, this space between Samaria and Galilee that would get you down to Jerusalem. Any good Jew would take the longer route to get down to Jerusalem. You would not go near Samaria. That's, think about that. That's how much they hated each other. You don't even go near the land. Well, here Jesus is taking the, taking the road. It says, as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. So we better just stop and make sure we know what's going on here. Ten lepers. Who can give us, let's see, let's see what kind of crowd we've got tonight. Who can tell us what the deal is with leprosy? What's the deal with leprosy in the Bible? Go ahead. Okay. 
Okay, excellent. So you are ritually unclean. You're, you're religiously unclean, so you can't participate in community because if you've got leprosy, actually, let's come back to this in a second. What is leprosy? It's a skin disease. What does it do? Does anybody know what it does? Have you ever actually looked up what leprosy is in Wikipedia? You need to look that up sometime. Makes your body parts fall off. What, what did you say? It attacks the nervous system. Yeah, so it's beyond just being a skin disease. It attacks your nervous system to a point where your limbs start to get deformed, limbs start to come off. It's, it's sort of got some of the um, aspects of, of diabetes when diabetes goes bad. Okay? But the catch was for Jewish people, they didn't believe that it was just a physical deformity. It was, it was a sign that you had sinned in some kind of way. You had something morally wrong. Were you going to say something else? Okay. You had, you had done something morally wrong internally that brought about God's judgment on you that now you've got this disease. And folks didn't know exactly, though, how it spread. Again, it was ugly. It was gruesome. You wanted to stay away from it. And I was thinking about this, again, with maybe an older crowd like this, you get this. It was probably similar to what happened in the 80s with, with AIDS, when AIDS came out. Everybody knew that if you got AIDS, something wasn't right in your moral life. Nobody knew exactly, exactly what was going on with it. There was all kinds of rumors about it. You tended to want to stay away from people if they had it. And when you saw people with AIDS, it was very unsightly. You, you, wanted, people to, you wanted them to stay away, as horrible as that is. Well, that's how it was for, for lepers. And so you wind up seeing groups of lepers because they've got nothing else. They've got to hang out with each other. He comes across ten lepers. They stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And if we can just even engage our imaginations for what that scene must have been like as Jesus walks by and these ten guys are just crying out to him. And they're not even specifically asking them to take the leprosy away. They're just asking for general mercy because you can just imagine how miserable their life is together. Have mercy on us. We've heard enough about you to know that you, you could do that for us. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, the reason why you'd have to go to show themselves to the priests is so that they could become ritually clean again. They could be brought back into the community. In fact, go back to Le Leviticus 13 and 14. Maybe you haven't done a devotional in there in a while. But if you want to find out about leprosy and just all the different steps that had to be jumped through, the hoops that had to be jumped through, that's where it's all at. Okay, so Jesus is saying, go get that taken care of with the priests. And it says, as they went, so they got up and they just, they, they, they left to go show themselves to the priest. But as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan, which we already said, that's already kind of crazy. Then Jesus answered, weren't there ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Okay. It's never a coincidence, and I think about this all the time too, after going over stories like this over and over again. It's not a coincidence that things got kept for us by the Spirit of God. In fact, John says there were so many things that Jesus did that it would take the whole world to fill the books, right? 
There's a lot more that we don't know. So anytime, and I think I'm just feeling this more and more as I, even as I get older in the word, that there's some very specific, there's specific reasons why he kept the stories that he kept for us and that we're supposed to keep going back to him so that we can get that same thing out of it and more every time. Where are the nine? That's the question. Let's ask ourselves that question tonight. Where, where are the nine? Where's the nine? Okay, oh, and let me say this. I'm not looking for one answer. I think there's a bunch of answers, okay? So let's, let's just put ourselves in their shoes. They went back to their family. Yeah, we, we already said they've been outside the community. They have to live in this other community. They're just going back to see their family, first thing. Okay, so some of them just went, and they're just going to the priest. Why are they going to the priest? They had to be declared clean, and Jesus told them to. Yeah, so they were just doing what he said to do. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Okay, yeah, Jesus told them to go do that. So that's, that's got to be a fair answer. What else are they doing? They're dead now? Well, I know, but I'm asking you to live for them. <laughs> Yes, that is what I mean. I'm jet lagged, man. Don't get confusing to me. I'm having a hard enough time thinking straight as it is. If we were in their shoes, what would we be doing if we were among the nine? Celebrating. Eh. Yes, good. Maybe going and having a little party or some kind of an exciting thing. <laughs> yeah, they've been waiting for this. Are you kidding me? Anything else? Might just be going to get a good meal. It's funny, you just put something in my mind. I've been going to visit this man in prison for the longest time. Crazy story about how that came about. Maybe I'll even tell it later in the week somehow. Almost every, I go see him once a month. And almost every month what he tells me is he just can't wait to have a fried egg. He's getting out in two years. So, you know, it's getting closer. He's been in there for over 20. I can't wait to have a fried egg. So, yeah, for some people, man. When you've been in a really bad way, you just look forward to a certain kind of meal. What else? Anything else? A hug. Yeah, maybe they're just going to back to some kind of relational touch and to get back with people that they love. For some, that was family. Some people, some probably didn't want to come back to their family, but they at least want to go see somebody. Right? What were you going to say? Okay. Good. Talk about that just for a minute. That fearful that it's temporary. What do you mean by that? And yeah, what's making you say that? Yeah, I really like that. Like, I, that would be on my list that they obviously know enough about Jesus to have known, to, to cry out to him for mercy. But still, man, this is hocus pocus to them, right? I mean, I'm going to hurry up and get to the priests. And, and I'm going to get declared clean again so I can get back about my business. And hopefully it sticks. Okay. Pretty good list. And what's really interesting to me is I don't, I don't, think, I don't think Jesus has a problem with anything on that list. 
I really don't. Like, he doesn't condemn any of the reasons why they're gone. But what he says is, and what he seems to indicate is, the one guy got it right in that whatever else was on his list of things to go do, legitimate stuff. He chose very purposefully to stop that. He even chose to stop being obedient. This is where I, I think that's really messy. And Jesus doesn't condemn him for not following through and doing what he told him to do right away. He says, this is the one that chose right because he laid aside everything that was on the list, at least temporarily, to come back and do what? Yes, express gratitude. Express gratitude. And look, maybe you'll start seeing this now even after we talk about this. Like This idea of gratitude is just bathed. The scripture is just dripping. Like almost on every page, especially in the New Testament, there's some reference to the need to be grateful to God and to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. So one of the questions that has to come to us, and we could probably even just stop right here in, in this moment, is just to ask yourself, like, what is your gratitude level these days? Like, if, if, you, if you could be exposed and your heart could be exposed, if we could hook ourselves up to a thankometer or something, you know, we had the technology where we could really see what is inside of each of our hearts relative to gratitude, what would it look like inside yourself? What would your, your spouse say or people that you work with or your kids, you know, the people that are close to you that get to watch how you do life? I think that's like a really, uh, I think it's a good question. It can be a really convicting question to think about how easy it is to go through life and like not at all be grateful. At least it is for me. It just easily kind of disappears. And I think what Jesus is, is doing in this text is this, even in this dramatic moment where these guys who have, who have been miserable, who have been healed of this horrible disease, who have all these good reasons, legitimate reasons to just go and do whatever that comes with the healing. Jesus says, ah, was there no one found to give thanks to God but this foreigner? He says, go, go your way. Your faith has made you well. I just say, okay. There was a Roman philosopher named Cicero. Get this, keep thinking. I know we're in the evening now, but... Think about this. He said, gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but it's the parent of all the others. Gratitude is not only the greatest of the virtues, but it's the parent of all the others. Somebody take a shot at it. Maybe somebody that hasn't spoken yet. What's that mean? morning, wasn't it? That's how it felt, wasn't it? What's that mean? Gratitude is not only the greatest of the virtues, it's the parent of all other virtues. Hmm? It sounds humbling, okay? What were you going to say? That when you're grateful, other virtues come after that. Like it, it literally, good, it literally gives birth. It 
gives birth to other virtues. There was a guy named Mike Zigarelli. He wrote a book called Cultivating Christian Character. This was quite a while ago now, but he did a study of 5,000 Christians. And his, his, um, the core of his study was to try to find out what is it that, that stands out about Christians who are, or would be qualified as mature and who are living the abundant life and who are producing fruit, like all that kind of good imagery that comes over here. And those that, they really do know Jesus, but those things just aren't true about them. Okay, so he dug into them, again, made a book out of it. And this is what his conclusion was. He said, a mindset of gratitude is by far the top factor in developing a Christ-like character. Spawning joy, it spawns, so again, it gives birth to joy, peace, patience, forgiveness, self-control. Otherwise known as the fruits of the Spirit. A mindset of gratitude is by far the top factor in developing a Christ-like character. And I remember when I read that, I just thought, my goodness, if that's true, then it, I can't look at myself and think that I'm mature in Christ if I also at the same time look at myself and don't see a pattern of gratitude in my life. Like those two things can't, if this is true, how can it be that I could think of myself as being a mature Christ follower but I don't have a trail of gratitude in my days, just not showing up in my days. And I would just say this, like this was a, ma it's been a ma major problem for me throughout my life because I'm a cup half empty kind of guy. And I'm quick to see and find the things that I don't like about any situation. That's just kind of the way that I'm wired. I married a cup half full woman, which has been both good and miserable. Okay, along the way, I, but it's exactly what I needed. But I've thought a lot about this then. Like what are, and here's a good little list. Let's look at this list together. Maybe you think if you would add anything else to this. But what are gratitude blockers? What are the kinds of things? And again, if we're, if we're Christian people, then this should characterize us. When it doesn't, then we should do some analysis. We should do an inventory of what it is that's getting in the way of us being able to be grateful. It's just good to think about. So. Here's some things on, on my list. How about pride? Pride is just that it's, it's all about me. So whatever it is that's going on in my life, I'm giving credit to myself for it. I'm not looking to give credit to God or anyone else. So pride is a gratitude blocker. People struggle with pride, don't we? It creeps up on us. How about comparison? I had comparison number two on my list. Now it's all about you. I'm constantly comparing my circumstances, my situation, what I have, what I don't have, to what you have or don't have, what your circumstances are. It's really easy to go through life doing that. How about unmet expectations? I want something to be true. I expected something to be true. In fact, I've developed a list of expectations for how I want life to go. And when it doesn't, it doesn't matter if there's good things still happening, I may just be frustrated because I didn't get my expectations met. I was at a camp last week in Dallas, this family camp, and you know, it was, I was looking forward to, to going to this camp because a lot of times we have to go there in August, and I'm like, it's June, like it's going to be like way nicer. It was like 105 at 10 a.m., you know, just horrible heat. 
And when we got there, the air conditioning was broke. And so, yeah, there was no air conditioning at all anywhere in the place. A tree had fallen on a line, and uh, it was mayhem. So the people were all moving in. And in fact, I heard one lady say, I was walking by, she was sitting at a pool talking to another woman, and I was walking past, and, and she said, you know, all week our air conditioning's been out at home, and I was so looking forward to coming here and getting air conditioning. And as we walked by, I was thinking, you brought the curse to this camp. Like, whatever it is that, whatever it is that God is putting on you, you cast her out from here. Get a, you know, it's, it was sweltering, and they got it fixed like three hours later. But we ended up having a great discussion just about how rattling that was because everybody expected to have air conditioning. Maybe rightfully so, but it's only because we've, we've grown accustomed to that. There were a million other things that had already gone wonderful at the camp, but all everybody could talk about was not having air conditioning. Because unmet expectations will really mess with your gratitude. How about, how about lust for more? Now, I'm not even talking about sexual lust. Well, I guess that could be part of it, but just lust and craving for more. Like, it's never enough. I never have enough, no matter what it is. I got to have more of it. How about this? As soon as I get to this spot, then everything will be good. As soon as we get the business built up to this point, as soon as we get the kids out of the house, out of diapers, out of elementary school, different seasons of that game, as soon as we're able to get in some kind of different circumstantial reality, then we'll be able to kind of just settle in and be happy with where we're at, be content with where we're at. That's a blocker, a gratitude blocker. How about fear? You ever think about fear being a gratitude blocker? Where you find yourself in maybe a wonderful situation, and yet you're constantly thinking about what's going to go wrong. What's going to happen next? I just had this conversation with a friend of mine the other day. He said his marriage has been racked by the fact that he lives constantly in the future. And it's a negative future. That's what he said. I live in the future, and it's a negative future. And I just carry that with me through every moment of our days together. So there's no room for gratitude in the midst of that when you're constantly in, you know, feeling angst about what's going to come. And I threw one more on there after just being with a group of college athletes for a couple weeks, and that is entitlement. Entitlement will mess with your ability to experience gratitude because I just expect that certain things are going to be a certain kind of way for me. Uh, and when you grow up and live in a, in a, you know, a middle class or middle to upper class socioeconomic reality, again, you don't have to be like a, a wealthy athlete to take that on. You just need to be in a certain place in, in your, um, your personal economic development where you have a sense of entitlement about the way things should go. Okay, I'm not going to ask you right now, but maybe you add something else to that list. It's a pretty big list, isn't it? Like there's stuff going on all the time that just get in the way of, of being grateful, choosing gratitude. It's so contrary to our nature. There's so much that's against us. There's so much that's broken about us and the world that presses us away from gratitude that it's no wonder then that God says, well, if you've been reborn with my spirit, then one of the things that will characterize you and cause you to stand out 
is a regular choice of to, to, to be grateful. You will set yourself apart from the normal flow of life because you choose gratitude, because it's not normal for people to do that. It's why he says in Philippians, let's look at a couple other verses, and then we'll land the plane here. How about Philippians 2, verses 12 through 14. Let's, look, let's flip over to Philippians together. In the middle of your New Testament, girls eat popcorn. Girls eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That was in, from college. Never forgotten that. It's the best I can do. <laughs> that was bonus. <laughs> Go eat popcorn. It's not girls. I don't know where the girls part came from. All right. 2 verses 12. All right, get this. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Remember this? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who, who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Great dichotomy there, working together. But get this, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning or complaining, some versions would say. Again, right after this whole idea of working out your salvation, the very next thing Paul says, do everything without grumbling and complaining, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and ge twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world." It's like there's an evangelistic component to it. Like he's saying, if you will just, as you're working out your salvation, if you will just choose to not be a grumbler and a complainer, you will shine like a light against the darkness in a crooked world. I saw a Newsweek article, so this is ancient, but I saw this in my notes the other day. I had forgotten about it. There was a, a Newsweek cover story that said, what's wrong with the American character? That was the title. Grumblers, whiners, and crybabies. What's, what's happening? Like it's become characteristic of us even as Americans. I don't know what it's like all around the world, but it certainly can be said to be true of Americans that we're just never satisfied. Again, all that blocker stuff. And so even more so, Paul would say to American Christians, y'all, the way you work it out, like step one is just check yourself on your internal grumbling and complaining before it becomes external. And you'll shine like a light. He says, how about this, in, in Thessalonians, and we don't have to flip over here. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18 and 19, you know this passage, where he says, sim similar to what we even looked at this morning, almost formulaic. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, keep, keep coming back to it, and give thanks in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances, choose to give thanks. Get this, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I have these kinds of conversations with college students all the time and other people too who are trying to figure out what God's will is for their life. And I love being part of those conversations 
and just trying to piece together what it is that God seems to be doing at any point in time with somebody and what their next step should be as they move into life. And more and more, it's interesting, as I've gotten older, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to listen to you, and again, I'll try to sort through this with you. And maybe you wind up on the path he has for you, or maybe he doesn't, but keep your hands open, and he'll make the adjustment along the way. But I can tell you this. As we sit here right now, I can say with 100% confidence that his will for you is that you will be cultivating gratitude in the way you operate. Like, just start doing that now. I don't know what you're going to wind up doing or which job you say yes to or internship or whatever, but as we sit here right now, it's God's will for you that you would find a way to start choosing gratitude and find ways to express that in your heart and externally. One more, and then we'll stop. Philippians 4, since we're already in Philippians. And again, we could find this on almost every page of these books, but I like these ones. Philippians 4. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So you get this? Keep talking to God. Pray. Ask him for stuff. Let your request be made known to him. Do it with thanksgiving. Look for things to be able to say thank you for, even in the midst of asking him for other things or asking him for circumstances to change, like we talked about this morning. Asking for something that you think you want to have happen, that's fine. And you know how that is. Sometimes we're actually asking for things that are in accordance to God's will and what he's going to want to say yes to. And sometimes we're asking for things that he's going to say no to. And sometimes we're asking for things that he's going to say wait on. But he will always say yes to a heart that says, thank you for this. I appreciate this moment. He will, always say thank, he will always say yes to a person who wakes up in the morning. And again, that just to, let's just put the fruit low here. Like what we're talking about is waking up in the morning. And the second that we become conscious, the second we become conscious, the day of worship begins when we say, thank you for allowing my eyes to open back up this morning. Guys, don't miss this. Thank you that as I sit here, my heart's still beating, best as I can tell. Thank you that I can, if you can, stand up on your own two feet, because not everybody's doing that this morning. You know that, especially, again, as we get older. Thank you as you head into the bathroom that you're able to go to the bathroom by yourself. That's easy to take for granted until you either can't or you know somebody that can't do that. As you go down to have a meal or something that you want to have, right, to kind of, you can certainly be thankful for food, which is another thing that's just so easy to just kind of throw a blessing on. It's like, man, there's people that don't have food to start their day. Are you with me? Like before you get to the list, but you know what you can do when you get to the list? Thank you that I've got a list and that I'm up and about and I'm getting to do things today because not everybody's getting to do that today. And to just like constantly be in this state where you're looking for things to be able to say, thank you for this, thank you for that. That acts as fertilizer. I just kind of keep coming back to that 
that imagery in my own mind. It fertilizes the soil of our hearts so that other virtues can grow, so that our God consciousness is, is engaged, it's alerted, and just good things seem to happen when we, when we start the day like that. That's really what it ends up boiling down to. A thankful heart, it's saying something about our view of God. It's acknowledging that he's sovereign over everything that happens. Again, it's not saying that we like everything that's happening. It's just acknowledging that he's sovereign over everything that happens. And he's saying, I trust you. I trust you in this, and I'm going to look for the things that I can be grateful for. It's not even saying, and I'll, I'll say this real quick, it's not saying that we can't be frustrated or discouraged, that we start to become phony. When something really stinks, I think it's okay to say something stinks. I think, though, what he's saying is that is in the midst of the stink, can you still see me in my presence over this? Can you still choose to see something that you can say thank you for, even if it's that I'm thanking you that you're a great enough God and I know enough about you that this is all going to work out the way that it should? Give me the courage to hang in there with you. Can you, in the midst of, this just happened to me the other day. I was in a horrible car accident 18 years ago. My leg is really messed up. I'm, still, I'm on antibiotic for it right now. Think about that. For something that happened 18 years ago, I still get sick all the time. It aches. And, uh, like, I can't do anything that I... I can't play basketball anymore and run and jump around, which that was going to end at some point anyways. But I'm, like, limited. I'm limited to rowing machines. Ah, oh. ah. Oh. And the other day I went to the YMCA, and there were some guys playing basketball in there, and my heart just hurt, you know. And, again, translate that into your own life. You know when you're just seeing something that you can't do anymore that is just not a part of your life anymore, and it kind of hurts, and I was feeling that. And I was walking back down the hallway to the rowing machine room. It was just like, God, oh, I just hate this. Like, I want to be in there with those guys. And I walked in the room, and I saw that horrible thing at the other end of the room. But right next to me was a guy who was sitting in a wheelchair. And, and he had a trainer kneel down in front of him. And his arm was stretched out. And he was just trying to get his hand to move. And he had obviously had a stroke. And she was, she was saying, there you go. Good job. Right? And he moved his hand like three inches and then moved it back. Okay? And I saw that. And as I'm walking again, it's like you got to do emotional multitasking before the Lord. I still hate that I can't play basketball. Well, well this man had a stroke or not doesn't change that. I still hate that. But... Ah, I get to go do the rowing machine. My old friend, the rowing machine, right? And I can do it on my own and stuff still working good enough to move it all. Yes, are you with me? Like a million times over that happens throughout the day, doesn't it? So the quicker that I can catch myself, and this is the this, this is it. Like this, it's a decision. It's, a, it's an issue of muscle memory. It, be, it has to become a practice, Christians. It becomes a practice in the midst of, and this is usually when I'm catching myself, is when I know that my spirit is moving towards complaining or grumbling or something's not right or cup half empty or whatever. The practice needs to be, ah, the, but what? But what? What's here to say thank you for? 
keep pulling myself over to that. Don't, don't stay in this. Keep pulling myself over to this. Because I have the spirit of God in me. And in a dark and twisted and crooked culture, that's the kind of thing that causes people to say, what's up with that dude? Like, he just seems to find a way just to be, again, not happy all the time, but there's just a gratitude that comes from him. That's what I'd like to have be true of me. I'd like that to be true of you too. I think the world could use some more people like that. Let's stop with that. Would somebody pray for us? Y'all are just shot right now on a Sunday night, I know, but does somebody have a prayer for us to close us out? Thanks. Amen. Thank you, and thanks for hanging in there, everybody. Hey, just so you have some sense of where we're going, tomorrow we're going to go back into Colossians, and I want to look at identity, and I want to look at, uh, at our future hope, okay? And for the next couple days, we're just going to stay in one section of, of Scripture in Colossians 3, and I think we're going to look at Daniel and see what we can learn from Daniel about living in a, in a Christian kind of way in a pagan culture even though Jesus hadn't come yet, you know what I'm saying. Uh, and then Thursday we'll have the Q&A, okay, just so you know where we're going for the next few days. So come back if you're able to, and, and we'll dig into some text together, okay? Thank you. Good? Okay. Go ahead, Art.